0: Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it.
1: 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense
0: of it all. We survived theater school and you will too. Are we famous yet?
1: Watch that. Do you know the th- coolest thing about crows?
0: No, but I want to know
1: they remember people's faces and if you fuck with the crow <gasps> you better hope that crow doesn't see you coming around his parts again oh
0: you better hope that crow goes blind
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I,
0: I learned about this because one of these
1: true crime podcasts <sighs> i was listening to it's like an unsolved mystery and i, I forget now but it was something about like the The crows know, but, you know, obviously you can't like interview, (laughs) you can't take a crow down to the
0: station. But that that animals probably see so much stuff. And and Mm -hmm. if they could just talk, if If they could could just just talk, talk, if your German shepherd could just talk, like there's so many true crime where dogs are involved, true crime shows.
1: Well, do you know about the dog, the, how they're teaching dogs to communicate?
0: No. Like, yes,
1: I follow this account on TikTok of this certain dog that they have these buttons, like there's this constellation of buttons that she, that the owner puts on the floor. Oh, you're yeah, showing that. It's oh, so yeah. cool. Yeah. It's so cool. And this dog that you know, I was watching it when it started with like the dog had three words. Now the the thoughts are so complex like like one of them, one time it was dad went work i'm sad yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah so soon they'll be able to solve they'll be able to solve crimes the crime solving dog yeah mcgruff can be a real
1: they can do a live action of mcgruff use a real dog that is fantastic yeah
0: that is fantastic how
1: is your um media record mogul
0: status Um, going? going. Okay. You know, it's interesting. It's hit a, we've, we've hit a, a a snag where I don't know about a snag, but it's just like any other business where getting people to respond to emails is really, is, is really challenging, but you know, I'm going to figure it out. Um, I'm trying to, they're going to, my band is going to Seattle for, 18 days where they're from where one of them's from and they have all these shows lined up and I'm trying to help them get into more radio stations and more while they're there and make the most of the trip and getting people on the phone and getting people on on email is real challenging so it's it is like are you gonna go are you gonna go to
1: Seattle okay
0: oh my god a plane me um but I'm I'm gonna have to uh, fly because I I'm I'm marrying I'm officiating a wedding in um, Chicago, uh, yeah. My agent, my agent's getting married and asked me to officiate her wedding, oh, nice. and that's and uh, that's later after after your visit. Um, and um, so I'm doing that. So I have to get on a plane, but mine has nothing to do with the virus, as we know. Like I'm not afraid of yeah. the virus. I'm afraid of flying. I don't afraid care if there's snakes on the plane. I, I don't give a shit.
1: Have you always been afraid of flying?
0: No, it started getting. Um, And it's totally, it's totally psychology, like we always say. So planes took my mother away all the time when I was young, starting from when I was five. My mom traveled, 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 traveled. It's no mistake. But I just sort of blocked that out and I didn't have, and then I started becoming obsessed like because I was weird at eight or nine when all the, like I started getting obsessed with plane crashes. Like I, I didn't know they could crash right until then I knew they could crash. Just like I didn't know true crime existed until I knew it existed. And then I became obsessed with it. So, Mm -hmm. okay. So then I got, then it, it sort of, um, morphed from, I think what happened was planes were scary because it took my mom away to no planes are scary because they crash all the time, which is not true. But when they do crash, everyone dies, which is pretty much true. Um, and then it morphed into I know I have no control. It's just psychology. It's like, obviously, duh, but it's psychology upon psychology upon psychology mm-hmm. for me. And I've gotten better in that. I do it. It's not like I don't do it, but if if given the chance between an Amtrak like to visit you or something or and, and I have the time, I will take the Amtrak. Now, yeah. my ass could die just as easily on an Amtrak crash. It's just it it makes no sense, Gina.
1: It well, yeah, but fears don't. I no, mean, right. fears don't make any sense usually. Um so oh, no. I by the way, I figured out about why I always lose my train of thought. I so I, I sort of self-diagnosed like 10 years ago with um, ADD, just the inattentive type. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a psychiatrist and I have, you know, got a actual oh, really? diagnosis. Yeah. I but I that. have never endeavored to really learn about it. I, yeah. Mostly because I feel angry that especially girls – don't this does this behavior doesn't get recognized as frequently as it does you know because inattentive is not a behavior problem whereas the impulsive thing is a behavior problem so girls you know so I whatever issues I had were chalked up to oh actually laziness the thing that we were talking about last time um like and it was always like Gina's not living up to her potential but I recently because uh two of my kids have the same problem. Um and they like learn about it. They learn all about it. And, th- and they'll they'll periodically they'll say like, did you know that people with ADHD? Anyway, one of the things is when you have six thoughts at the same time and you're trying to choose which six one. thoughts. Yes. Holy shit, no wonder. And I hear it when I'm editing this that I start to say one thing, I get reminded of another thing. I go into the third thing and then I've, then I've, and I've, then I've lost everything or sometimes even just trying to pick from among the six thoughts causes me to forget all of them. Holy
0: shit. Well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Anyway. So what were we just talking about Ah! before this (laughs) No, we're basically talking about fears and how. Fears, oh yeah, fears, fears make yeah. no sense. They're not rational, and they get. Right. Uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for. Is it confabulated? They get mixed in with other stuff that is make that does make sense because yeah. I'm not psychotic. So it's not like I have a fear that you know aliens are going to steal the plane. It's more, or I'm not paranoid. It's it's that I have psychological issues with control and loss control yeah
1: that's that makes see see that makes perfect sense if you told me a person who has issues with control and fear of loss i'd say that would be their biggest fear is flying right or 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 anything related to it uh falling
0: um, um are you afraid of heights no being trapped. Okay. Um, it's mostly, it has all been, it has worn the mask of flying, but then it's creeped into stage fright, right? So, mm-hmm. same thing. So, it is, it is intense. It has creeped into other, it has creeped into an area of, like we've talked about a, a lot of um, forgetting my lines. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's more than that. It's then humiliation and shame of um, forgetting them and, and having. Having people depend on me and not meeting their standards that's mm-hmm. and it's morphed it's morphed a little bit but flying still is it, it still is not pleasant for me but I do it I will do it I'm not gonna fly I'm not gonna drive to yeah. Chicago again
1: the thing that it would require for you to get all the way over your fear I I think would be I mean, you just have to do like a completely cognitive behavioral approach to it. Like you would have to, pr- it probably, they'd probably make you do the flooding technique where you spend a lot of time talking about flying, watching videos, maybe doing a flight simulation. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, one of the uh, hallmark treatments is approach. Uh, uh, if you have approach avoidance, which is to say you avoid approaching things that you're afraid of then then you have to you know approach approach and and like do take your little baby steps to getting to where because well I don't know but is it a problem for you would you rather
0: not have this fear or are you oh yes I would rather not have this fear I would love to go to Japan I would love to go to Australia I would love to go yes it is it is a problem it is it, it, it it's it Yes. The answer is yes. So maybe you could do
1: a little experiment leading up to your first flight. Maybe like four weeks out, you could start just talking to yourself about being on the plane and thinking about picturing yourself in the plane and doing things that make you feel a little bit nervous or antsy so that by the time you actually do it, it'll feel like you've been doing it to some
0: degree. Hey,
1: let me run this by you. What's going so, on with you? So, so that's what I, actually the thing I wanted to run by you is also about approach avoidance. I have gotten to where I'm almost pathologically averse to talking on the phone. Oh. I talk to you. Yeah. I talk to my husband. I talk to my mom. I do and my kids if they call I do not want to talk to one other person. I wish everything could be entirely online. I wish I never had to, you know, call the appliance repairman. I, I, People that I like, I don't still don't like to talk to them on the phone. I have friends who call me and I don't take their calls. And the more I do it, the worse it gets. Mm-hmm. Like it used to be that I had it, but but we didn't have any like other means. So I just would be like, well, whatever. I, this is this is my method. But now that we have other means of communicating with people, I become irate. That somebody would call me uh-huh. instead of texting me or emailing me, which is one thousand percent my preferred method of communication.
0: Oh, that's really good to know. I mean, this is, but except,
1: but I'm. T- I really mean it when I say except with the f- aforementioned people. I love talking to you on the phone. I love talking sure. to my mom on the phone. I love talking to my husband on the phone. I, I, I really don't know what it is, and it's. And it's such a problem that there's a person in my life who loves talking on the phone. And she calls in the first few times, you know, I would chat. She's bored. She doesn't have anything to do. Sure. sure. So we would chat. And then it got to be like, okay, that I think the other thing I don't like is idle chit chat. Uh Uh-huh we're talking about the weather we're talking about covid we're rehab for this one particular person we're just rehashing like trump over and over again and it's not that those are i just why i don't know i just have this feeling of i just have this thing of like this is it's not that it's a waste of my time i really i have to get to the bottom of it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. because you're very good on the. i mean you you love it right i like
0: well i i I too when someone calls that's not you or not a person I, and I see their calling, there is a part of me that goes, oh, oh, like a small part that I'm like, oh. And mine comes from fear. I always fear I'm in trouble, right? So if someone calls, I wow. must be in real trouble if I don't know them very well. Like if I see a, a, you know. Um, but I do, once I'm on there, I'm fine. I like it. I I wonder, I did think there's something about time uh um, ah, there's something about, well, several thoughts come up. One is the phone is definitely more vulnerable than email and text, right? Oh, yeah. There's true. vulnerability involved. You hear the timbre of someone's voice. You hear the breath. You hear it is, it is a more vulnerable thing. Okay. We've also it's been more intimate, yeah. intimate, intimate. That's the word. Yes. Yeah. And we've been, we've been really separated from people for a long time. And so this, 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 um, it's just like my flying thing. I haven't had to practice it because we can't fly. We couldn't fly or we weren't supposed to fly. And now with you, it's like when you're separated, everyone has sort of resor- resorted to online activities and texting and emails. There's not been a, I haven't talked on the phone that much actually during the pandemic it's is as though we thought we could give each other the virus through the phone you know what I mean like <laughs> right, right, but right. like just let's stop all intimacy but no not true and I think that for you i it's interesting I wonder if it's well I do think there's an element to Don't, don't, don't waste my time. I've wasted, uh, from what I hear from you, it's like, I've wasted so much. You're the feeling I've, I've wasted so much time in my life already, which is a feeling that I totally relate to. Or like, I, I, I spent, I have been spinning my wheels for me. It's like, I've spent my wheels in my thirties and twenties. I don't want to do that anymore. So I think for you, it sounds like it's a mix of, it's always a combo platter. And I think it's a combo platter. It sounds like of increased, intimacy and vulnerability which is scary mixed with this is not important
1: dude you're you're 100% right it's when you said that about vulnerability intimacy like that of course i was like oh yeah of course that's what it is that's always something i'm afraid of but yes then there's this other thing of i i can i can be in a frame of mind to do the idle chit chat sometimes it's fun to just yeah but Um, maybe as I get older, or maybe this year, whatever, I just the I I, if, if, if I call somebody, I have something to say to them. Yes. And I want somebody to call me when they have something to say But at the same time, I recognize that for many people, including many people that I love. They the 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 thing that feeds them is just the talking. Yes. It doesn't matter what you're talking about, right. But it doesn't work that way for me. so i'm I'm trying. So I've been vacillating between just, and you know, whatever, just, just talk because this is what the other person needs. And you have to give this to the other person versus no, why don't they ever learn to just tell you? So I'm trying yeah. to find the middle path. It's hard. So
0: it's like um learning, like we talked about love languages, right? So it's like learning your, and I think, I think you could also think about saying to the person the truth of it, which is like, dude, this isn't like, I, I tried and it's just not my love language. Like it just doesn't, mm-hmm. if, if you're close enough now, something you can't really do that to the bill collector. I mean, you can't, <laughs> this is not my love language. Please email me. And they're like, what the fuck,
1: but excuse me, Comcast. I, yes, uh, right. this is getting entirely too, intimate, it's for too me. intimate
0: for me. I need you to email me um (laughs) the more form letter the better um but yeah and I think you could say it but I I definitely know the the feeling of not want avoid avoidance just total avoidance of the thing and I think it can hurt people's feelings but it's better to say like Look, dude, I just, I just, I just hate the phone. I'm trying to get over it. Yeah. I
1: did actually tell somebody that and they just keep calling. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, you know, but then I feel like, okay, well, when I don't answer, right, they they know, they know that it's.
0: Yeah. You I told said. You, you told your truth, you know, yeah. about it. And also, you know, maybe they just like to leave messages. I don't know. There's people that leave yeah. me really long messages. Really, really? long messages. <laughs> and I'm like, and I listen to like three fourths, and then I just call yeah. the person back because I'm like, but they like leaving long messages that just trail on and on. Okay. Well, there you go. Do you have it? What do you avoid? Confrontation, flying. I think those are the two main ones. Shame, Mm. shame avoidant. I'm very shame avoidant, Um, um, which is what confrontation for me. Confrontation uh, of uh, avoidance is just shame avoidance. So anything where I'm going to be feel like I'm going to be humiliated, picked on, left resourceless uh, I, I I will avoid it. So even like getting notes when I was an actor and when we did actual live theater, like you talked about it a little bit, how you had to give notes to an actor that was extremely sensitive. And I'm like that, but I would never show it. I would never say it. I would never, because Mm -hmm. we didn't do that in my family, you know? So I just inside I'm dying. I'm like, Oh my God, here it comes. They're going to tell me, get off the stage you're terrible um you don't deserve to be here so and usually it's like you forgot to pick up the hat stage left you know what I mean right 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 right
1: so I used to also be very conflict avoidant but in the last five years I've gotten to where I love a good conflict oh my god! I just love confronting somebody um probably not with like big, 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 serious issues, but I've had several.
0: I know you've been really good at it. Yeah. I've had
1: several in the last several years of my life. It's been a number of times where I've called somebody up and said, you know what? I'm going to tell you a little something about a little something. And you know, it's a real mixed bag with how it's received. Mm -hmm. Some people never talk to me again. Other people are like, thank you. I, you know, I didn't know that, but, um, I think I was always afraid of that thing of like, if I have a conflict with somebody that they don't love me anymore, okay. or that means our relationship is over and a, there's certain relationships that I, I don't care if yeah. they're over. I mean, if, if confronting the person with something that's real and truthful is enough to end the relationship, then so be it. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm like, listen, life is too short to have a relationship with somebody where I'm keeping where I'm. Because the thing that I did so much of in the past was never tell the other person when they were upsetting me. Yes, that just do it all inside, blow up, and end the friendship. And the other person being like, "Wait, what?" I, right. I I have I have blown up four very good friendships that way. Just like one day, I I that happened. The first one I did it with was my very serious high school boy, boyfriend. I woke up. I had never said one single thing that I didn't like about what he did. I woke up. I said it's time to break up with Michael. I drove to his house. I I I put his stuff on the lawn and he's and he was there. He saw me like midway through and he's like, "What are you what what are you doing?" And I was like, "Goodbye. I'm leaving." And
0: Wow. That that
1: it felt good in the moment, but it was a terrible thing to do to him. It would have been much better to tell him how I was feeling. Wow. I did that with um two like but basically like three basically best friends of mine that I had that I just so that is something I don't want to do anymore. I want to huh be real with people. I want to tell them when they're hurting me. I hope they tell me when I'm hurting them because it goes both ways. Yeah. I've also been ghosted by people and I'm sure that that's what happened to them, that they were so fed up with me and then they just didn't feel like they could say anything about it. Oh my gosh. That's... Actually, you know, you helped me a little bit with this because, uh, the, f- I had a fight with you or I felt upset with you. With, around my wedding because you weren't oh, going to yes. come to my wedding, and I called you, and I think I was so scared to call you because I thought, well, this is it; she's never going to talk to me again. And instead, I called you, and you said, "Oh my god, I I had no idea," and and you 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 met my needs. Like, yes, it, I think it was the first experience I had ever really had of somebody, uh, me telling them how I feel, and then. Because if I would tell my dad how I feel, he'd be like, oh, no, you don't a personal problem. Yeah. Like, (laughs) Like, good luck with that. Good luck with that. I don't know what to tell you. I don't have that same problem. So anyway, so thank you for that.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, I think, I think it's important. I think as an adult, if I am going to not live in constant, um, torment, Mm -hmm. I have to get more conflict. Uh, curious. Let's just call it that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Conflict curious and less conflict avoidant. And I'm going towards that. So like, you know, we've had stuff on on the podcast with people where it's gotten a little hairy and dicey and we, we, we've worked through, you know, it, it, it and i know as we proceed as artists and as i proceed as a writer and as i you know i i now i did the thing of hiring my old school teacher as a mentor yeah. she's giving me i met with her she gave me some real talk feedback about my idea and about, it was not easy, but I was like, okay, you're, you know, it's helpful if I'm like, you're paying this lady for this, you're paying this lady for this. And the same thing with friends, you're not paying them, but you're, you're invested, you've invested time and money. Time is money into this friendship. Like, this is important. Like, hear them out. Like, don't shut down and just run away. Don't shut down and just run away. But it's a constant self-talk of like, show up for the thing, show up for the, whether, whether they, you know, and, and you can tell, like when I talk to people and you're one of them who's really open to feedback, they, you can tell they're like, no, 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 no. I want all feedback is good feedback. And they really believe it. And I'm in awe of those people because I want (laughs) to say only prizing, praising feedback is important. But that's not true. But what you
1: really learn after you get a bunch of that is it doesn't help you grow. It doesn't really, I mean, it's nice to hear when you need an ego boost. Okay. But so what is the thing that happens to you when you get the, no- I mean, what is the uh, what is the major alarm bell that it's triggering? Like this person hates me. This person thinks I'm not a good writer.
0: It's it's embar, it is in Im- it's it's shame and humiliation. So it 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 feels like a flush of heat, right? Literally a flush of heat, and in my body. And then it feels like I need to run away. I cannot tolerate this. That's what it is. I feel that I am going to be incinerated. And that I cannot tolerate what is about to happen, even though what is about to happen is not usually uh, incineration. Right. But is there a thought connected to it? Like, Um, No, it is. It is so primal. It is like, I can't hear this. I have to disappear. I'm not I'm not Hmm. I'm not it's so physical it's like okay so
1: that's very interesting that means it's very primal it's a primary process and not a secondary process it's not it's not connected to a thought of whatever mm-hmm. the, the spirit so that's very so you have to be very gentle with yourself about it you have to do a lot of I mean, careful it, talking to yourself
0: it goes real real deep like so i think this is sound, might sound crazy but when my mom was pregnant with me. Okay. She didn't want another kid right away. She, my sister, she had trouble with my sister, trouble getting pregnant, getting, got pregnant, got, had my sister and then thought, whew, I got some time. She just wanted a child. I think she didn't really love, she told, she told me she stopped loving my father when my sister was born. Okay. (sighs) So then she got pregnant with me and I'm, she didn't want another kid. So mm-hmm. I think it goes so deep that it's that and that's what I need to work on. It's like some weird pre-birth that, shit.
1: That does not sound crazy at all.
0: Okay. Okay, good. Uh,
1: because one of the things I recently heard somewhere or read somewhere is um, – because I have always had this feeling – I think I've said this on the podcast before. Apologize for reiterating myself. But um, I have always – been really emotionally set off by anything related to sexual violence Mm. even though I have never been raped I have been assaulted a few times but not not raped um it is such a and I'm and it's like this thing of like it it automatically turns my stomach um and I have a morbid curiosity about about it um my mother has basically the same thing. And she has also never been assaulted. But her mother had a a terrible abuse history. And I think her grandmother had a terrible. So they say, when you're, you first exist in your grandmother's womb, you are an egg (laughs) inside of your mother who's inside inside of your grandmother. So that makes perfect sense that about generational trauma, not, I always thought of generational trauma as being something like you perpetuate on to right. somebody else, but it, it can be literally just the, 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 trauma, the, the, the reaction to the trauma of it, even if it's not your own. Yes.
0: And thing. I think that's so right on. And I think my mom was like one and done. I got my child. That's what I wanted. And then here I came. She was
1: so like, so you want... feel like you don't
0: have a right. Right to, to exist. exist. it's really exist. rough so I'm working yeah. on it but it's it's rough and it, and it, 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 it comes out in in conflict and when someone has fe- it's not even conflict right it's feelings it's feelings it's feedback. Feedback is just feedback, but it becomes so threatening, which is how I easily, I'm shocked. I didn't end up with borderline personality disorder. Like I'm
2: shocked.
0: I didn't get into that was not my situation in terms of like I self harm and all that stuff. Cause cause whoa, but yeah. But you know, the thing
1: that's really interesting about that, maybe this will be somewhere you can go with your feedback avoidance. Um, it, that makes sense to me because if the message f- f- that you got in the womb was you don't deserve to exist or right. nobody really wants you here, uh, feedback is very clearly stating you do exist and I and you are a person and and I want you oh. to be here and I and I took the time to read your thing and to give Whoa, you feedback. Oh, so that's maybe a the, whole different thing. Yeah, the reason you don't like it is is. It's, it's actually the validation oh, look that, at that you
0: this is yeah, getting man. all psychological this morning that's what i
1: love to do that's
0: what i love to do <laughs> i think that's so great
1: yeah oh. so like when somebody is giving you feedback they're saying oh, oh hell yes you exist you're forced <gasps> to be reckoned with and you're and there's better in you so oh. you know here's how you can
0: oh, look at that once thing Today on the podcast, we're speaking with Jason Denizek. Jason is someone who went to the theater school at DePaul University. He graduated and he started a theater company with some other DePaul grads. He's done coaching. He's a dad. He's a husband. He's really interested in working on himself as a whole person. And we found that fascinating. So please enjoy our conversation with Jason Denizek. It's all gold. Anyway,
1: so, uh, hi, Jason. Congratulations. You survived theater school. Oh,
2: my Lord. Yay.
1: Woohoo! Good to to see you,
2: guys.
1: (laughs) Good to see you, too. Where are you sitting right now? I'm just curious about your background. The quietest
2: location in my house, which is the backyard, because inside I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old and a dog and, of course, my wife and a cat. And they're, well, the cat's not making too much noise, but everyone else... (laughs) Makes Whoa. a lot of noise.
1: Yeah. Okay, good. Well, it sound, I hear little birds tweeting. So be I, there are
2: birds out here. So I hope this yeah. is okay. I, I This Don't, is this Ryan. or the garage. In the garage, you might not great. have good internet. Okay, good.
1: No, you sound great. You sound great. So um, thank you for sending us your bio. I, I that hope was, it, no, it was It was super helpful, A, because I you filled in a lot of the blanks, but also because I'm like, Loving this phrase, intentional communication. Is that something you're calling it, or that's a pre established?
2: That is what I mean. I, I didn't come up with the term, um, but it is something that Pinnacle and the founder, um, Gary Mills and David Lewis came up with. And I, Gary is a theater school alum. If you, if you know, if you, I don't know, I, I think he was pre all of us. Um, mm-hmm. I think he was around when Gillian Anderson went um, that time period. Anyway, um, yes, they they started a company called Pinnacle Performance Company. And essentially, it takes the techniques that we as actors have honed and learned, which is, I need a specific objective. What do I want my audience to do? Or what do I want to get from them? And, and then I'm going to use my intentions, uh, which is, again, making us feel something um, to achieve that objective. And you can apply it across any business because everyone has objectives and everyone wants things from people.
0: That's fantastic. Right. I mean, I, I, I love that. And, and just a a side note, he also owned Webster Fitness. He did.
2: Yeah. He was the owner of Webster Fitness. That's how I originally met him. And actually I met him as a playwright through timeline and another show that we did at prop theater. Do you remember prop theater? Yeah. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah. It just, it recently just closed. Oh,
2: that's a bummer. Uh, But, uh, so I'd worked with him a few times and that's how I met Dave, his partner. And some time went by after had having met them. I live, was living in New York and he and Dave had started this company and was, and when I moved to LA, then I asked, I reached out to them because it had been going well. And I was trying to figure out what, what to do next with my life uh, and or what, you know, how to fill in the gaps of employment. And it did more than fill in the gaps. It became like a second career. Do you love it? I do. I do. When you see people get it and they start becoming more confident in what they can deliver and what they can bring and, and they see, oh, I can, it's neat to see that connection. And and then, then you go, oh, I'm bringing value to them besides, you know, entertainment which is fun, you know, as of course as an actor, but when you can bring that sense of um, empowerment as a coach or a, a teacher, it's always really nice.
1: The other thing I loved about your bio is just seeing how many theater companies you worked with. My God, which it's, it would have been better to list the theater companies you haven't worked with. <laughs> you had quite an illustrious oh, okay. theater uh, creation. Goodman in Theater. Uh, <laughs> you know, I could go
2: through, <laughs> I could go, <laughs> not that I'm bitter. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. so uh tell us a little bit about your experience right after you graduated did you uh you started a theater company with some other theater school um tell us theater revolutions that was called
2: it was called theater volution because i thought that was cleverer like if you could put it all together because the re when you spell theater that way could go into revolution and oh. i thought oh isn't that clever theater volution or theater revolution however you wanted to say it we uh, yeah that we, we, we Me, me and um, Kelly Holden Hoganacker, John Hoganacker, Matt Carter, Mike Rushton, who is my old roommate, who was a theater school guy who got cut, Chris Schultz, but then he moved, um, and Dave Dismalchin, We were the, oh, Jimmy McDermott were the uh, uh, initial people behind it. And it, 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 it it sputtered and went for about five years as most as, as those companies do. Um, and that may be, be being a, a, a generous five years, but we kept it, we kept it going in ways we went at the well, more
1: anything more than one year. Yes, yeah. is, is a victory, yeah. I think. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We, we did yeah. the Mary Archie theater festival a few, like a couple years in a row. And that was like awesome. Cause I met a lot of other theater people like, um, Sean from the hypocrites, uh, yeah, Sean Graney, Sean, he yeah. I met him and I met a bunch of other people through Mary Archie. Yeah. I mean, um, the man who, who runs Mary Archie, Rich, what, Rich, Rich, why am I forgetting Rich his name? Yeah, Katowski. I love Rich. Uh-huh. And, 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 uh, so that was, yeah, so we did mostly showcased at those, but we did a few place, other theaters were, or spaces, I wouldn't even call them theaters, a coffee shop, um, So, so right after the theater school, myself, Matt Carter, Mike Rushton, Jimmy, not Jimmy, uh, he would come over all the time. And then two other chaps that I knew, we, um, we moved into a windowless warehouse in downtown Chicago and had access to far too much alcohol and drugs and, um, and, and just lived a Bacchanalia life in this windowless warehouse. We went crazy. We went crazy. And we did some, oh, you, and some art was, yeah, we lived illegally in the space and oh, wow. I had the only established room. Cause it used to, it used to have like machinery. It did some kind of <laughs> like, Printing, I don't know what it did. And in front It was
1: glamorous, is what you're saying.
2: No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have a fridge or a shower for the first six months and we had to go to gym. <laughs> That's why we had girlfriends and gym memberships because we would go to other people's places oh for, for these things. Anyway, I can't I, I think about it now. I remember I brought my grandfather in to see it. And he, he was always so encouraging. He looked around and he goes, It's got potential. That's all. That's that's all he could say, and then he got. (laughs) Oh,
1: that's so sweet! What was the like mission statement of Theater
2: Evolution? That is a good question, and I would have to. (sighs) I would have to look into that. I um, I know a lot of it was like reimagining classics or trying to. Um, I I was really into Grotowski and theater of the poor, poor theater. Um, from Joe Sloic, uh, um uh, who, who inspired our first production. We did a production of Wojtzec at the theater school and then later remounted it. And, um, and just that sense of, um, where does the line between the audience and the performer drawn what any space could be considered a theatrical space. And then we would take classics and try to just put them in different, like reimagine how they could be staged, you know, not just traditionally.
1: I'm just curious about it because so many people who graduate from theater school start a theater company. There's something. It's almost like you could call it your fifth year of school, totally, because of the number of people who do it, and and it's and it's this thing of like. As you're doing it, you go. This is not going to work. I mean, when nobody has any money, <laughs> you know, like we're not there's or like this is a very there's a very small chance that this is going to last. But yet, we all hold on. We all feel that ours is going to be different. I'm just, you know, that's just
0: interesting to me. <sighs> yeah, yeah, we do. We we
2: did we did hold on to that. Like, oh, ours ours will make it. Yeah. And
0: you know it did in a lot of ways for a while and it's it's it, it, I mean five years, even a generous five years is a long time. I saw Wojciech. Did you do it at like the viaducts or some under where did it move to?
2: We did it at a coffee shop that was across the street from Webster fitness and, and that in and that cafe there was there was or um, that where, yes. we, where we all yes. got lunch. there was a coffee shop there that had a big back room. And we did it, and there. You did it there.
0: Okay, I. Like, I don't did think we Rashomon, paid them anything. Rashomon.
2: Yes, that was our second show, and we I did saw that it at the
0: viaduct, or under the
2: viaduct. It, it, you were one I of the it. twelve people that saw it.
0: I thought <laughs> I thought it was really good, and I, I remember did too. Chris, <laughs> Chris Schultz being very, very good in it. He and wasn't I
2: remember, in it. Oh. oh no, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> um, Maybe it was it, you. It was me and Mike, <laughs> Rushton and Kelly Holden at the time Holden and then Jimmy directed and our friend Peter did sound and music. And we were three. Yeah, I know. uh, Yeah, it was what it was. It was great. We had a good time with it.
0: I had a good time watching it. So there you go. It moved me.
2: Awesome. (laughs) Yay.
1: Okay. So Jason, tell us about how you came to pick a conservatory as your, for your college experience. Yeah, Had you been doing theater in high school and, before?
2: Yes, I started doing theater in like 7th and 8th grade because I I didn't really like sports and I was a kid that would just break down and cry really intensely if their sports team was losing or if I got anxious at the chalkboard and thought I was failing, there was a lot of emotion that would come out of me and it was awkward. And I probably needed therapy as a kid, but what I got was theater. And yeah, lots of people right, use that as a
1: bypass. <laughs> right? and, and,
2: and so I went to, um, in. I lived in Milwaukee. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and there was a theater camp for kids that when it ran year long uh, called first stage theater academy so i guess you could call it academy and i did a lot of theater there and then i went to northwestern one summer have you had any cherubs on in in your program yeah so i did the cherub program and i met some theater school people at the chair program but i met pj powers because he was an older he came and was one of my a faculty associate they called him a facass, and he, <laughs> <laughs> he he turned me on to the theater school and I originally wanted to go to Northwestern because that was the experience i had and and just to tell you what theater that that chair of experience was like have have you do you know what it is or it's but I think Boz does, but yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, because I'm really. from
0: Evanston, so yeah. I, I. But you, why don't you tell us? Tell us in your in it, your. It,
2: words. It's it's a tear factory for for pre adolescent, uh, for 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 you know tweens um, or even later than that teenagers, uh, where you go for six weeks and you live there in dorms, hormones raging, and you do theater. Uh, you like you your crew, a show, it's a conservatory. You do, you study theater movement voice the whole time. And I loved it. I loved it. And that's when I was like, that's what I want to do. This is what I want to do and go to. So coming to the theater school and had PJ had kind of told me about it. I was like, yeah, it, it, when I got there, there was no surprise on what was going on there. Cause I was like, yeah, this is what i liked doing to begin with. Um, I also had done a lot of improv comedy uh, called comedy sports when I was in high school. That was another thing I gravitated towards. And improv the first year, I was like, oh, sweet. But it was not the type of improv. I was used to like, come up with the funny line and do the funny bit, right? And it was like, I couldn't talk. So I it really messed with, or it, it enhanced my improv abilities in ways that I was like, oh, I, this is not what I'm used to with improv. Um, so I, I kind of had that. Like oh I, this feels comfortable going in when I went when I got into the theater school.
0: Did you audition for other schools or how did you <laughs> how did that go? Okay yeah.
2: Well I, I auditioned <laughs> for well, I wanted to go to Northwestern but like I didn't have the grades really I thought I had the extracurricular but anyway I, I did, it didn't work out um, and then I auditioned for Carnegie Mellon and even did a lot of choir in high school but when they asked me to sing I was like I just choked and it was like that 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 part of the audition was. The and um, what else did I audition for? Those are the only A uh, Boston College or or North Carolina School of the Arts. Um, and then I I, I knew it. New York seemed too in, intimidating for me, so I didn't. But Chicago seemed just right, so I I, I auditioned for those schools.
0: Okay. Yeah. Do you remember the monologue you did? Just I always like to ask that.
2: <laughs> I look because I've been listening to this podcast. I was like, what was the monologue? I looked it up. It was from a show called sideshow by Miguel Pinero. And I, I, I did a, about, it was like a kid who snuffs, a huffs glue and talks about watching his friend, like jump onto the tracks and kill himself. And it was a pretty intense, like monologue. It doesn't, you don't see it coming. And then at the end, he just, you talk, he talks about how the glue just makes him numb out. And like, and so it, it worked. It was, it it was a fun monologue and I don't know if it was appropriate for me, um, but it worked, you know, anyway.
1: This, I've never asked anybody this question before, but do the type of material you chose for your audition, is that your type of theater that you like, or did you pick it based on what? you thought like what maybe the character was similar to your age or because Mm -hmm. we, so many people choose something that just so wildly off from who they are. Yeah. That it's, you know, it's, it's almost never going to work, but.
2: That is a great question. I think, because I certainly have picked pieces that I was like, I saw someone else do it. who was much older and was like, Oh, I love that piece. And I tried to do it as, you know, like a 16 year old. But I think with that piece, you know, I found it in a monologue book and I talked to my yeah. theater person, my my theater teacher at the time, and he encouraged me. And something about it, I just connected with it. You know, there was that 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 there that therapy element of I have pain to share and I can tap into it. And here is a safe place to do that on stage. Right. Um, yeah. And so I ultimately liked Theater or pieces and stuff that was like, oh, this is kind of funny, but then, whoa, whoa he hits you with with something serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: hmm. yeah. Is, and after after I, I heard the names of the first two shows you did with Theater Evolution, but was all was it all pretty like dark, gritty stuff?
2: Yes, we did. Oh, I'm trying to remember all this. Like the hand, we did the Dumb Waiter. Uh, we did. So that's pretty it's kind of heady, but it's pretty, there's some fun in that we did. Um, who did six character Pirandello. We, we explored mm-hmm. Pirandello through, and he a just, he's just, he's a misogynist. Like he's a son of a mm-hmm. bitch. And he, mm-hmm. and, and, and so, you know, there was, no, nah, it was all intense stuff. I'm looking at it now. I'm like, yeah, there was no, <laughs> there were no light romps or comedies. It was all pretty heavy. <laughs>
0: I was just thinking, um, just to, to quick share, I was thinking my monologue was, I was 16, and now that you said 16, that's how old I was, 16 doing a monologue about a 30-year-old the, the, who is traps a rapist in our house and, and, and beats him to death. Holy uh, moly. That, that was what I did. Now, what the, because Joyce Piven at Piven Theater Workshop probably said that's a good idea, but great. I mean, you know, but like thinking back, I'm like,
1: you said you looked it up, Jason. Does that mean like you
2: it was in your journal or something? Oh, looked. Oh, you said you looked up the name of your I, monologue from, from, and I did this as a thing to be a prepared actor. They're always like, have monologues. I have an old file folder of all. Anytime I do a monologue, I type it out on either a word processor back in the day, or I or I or I, I, I double space it on a so I can do work on it. But I always file it, and I have it and. And and I, so oh I can, so I can essentially go back to it and, and I look through and I go, oh yeah, I remember when I did that one or that one. So that way it's a little easier for me than to, yeah, you know. Does
1: that one have notes on it?
2: Oh, I don't know. I, 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 I don't have, to be honest, I don't have that one anymore because I, just from thinking, I do remember what, what, and I tried to look up the book, but I don't think I have the notes on it anymore. Okay.
1: I just, I was asking because I thought, oh, that'd make a great thing to put on our Instagram, a picture of your notes of one of your monologues. Yeah. If you, if you're so inclined. No, that's,
2: uh, (laughs) I can, I, I have the file. I'll look through some of those. Those would be fun. Yeah. I draw sometimes there are pictures on the side or things like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you at an early age, you were using theater for therapeutic reasons. Did you graduate to therapy therapy doing it? Yeah, real, well, real style. Mid,
2: mid, not till mid, not till my mid thirties and up to today. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I, I certainly throughout DePaul was, Uh, and I've and I'm so glad I've been listening to these podcasts that you guys have put together I I listened to Paul Holmquist because you just released it and I had so much relatability to you know numbing out throughout college not being able to handle certain intense emotions but only on stage and and just Mm -hmm. trying to putting it in there and then you know sitting around with my friends who Maybe having some crisis and being like, "I don't know how to deal with you," or "I don't know how to deal with this," and uh, yeah, those those kind of thoughts come to mind. Um, so i I wish I found therapy earlier, but in the meantime, mm-hmm. theater was was doing good. It was a good way my, to do it.
0: My, of my experience of you was really, and this is, and and it's going to be wrong because everything I knew about everybody was wrong. Um, <laughs> um, it, um was like this happy-go-lucky guy who was always in for like a, like a a group event, like really positive and really um, earnestly willing to participate in things. And um, how off the mark, how off Mm -hmm. the mark am I? Uh,
2: I, that's pretty right. I, I was a, and in many ways a huge people pleaser and still am and working that out. And and a lot of that was because I wanted to be a part of something. Fear of missing out was a huge thing I've been you know working through in my life. And, and those were all like, but at the same time I was up for anything. Like you said, I was, I would be positive. I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's jump in. Um, so that's not off. Um, but I often just felt uh, maybe also inside a little like, Um, that, that those insecurities of like, Oh, I wish they would have, no one called me this weekend or I, I, I would, I, I always felt I was maybe forcing my way into things because, Mm -hmm. um, I needed to, or I wanted that connection and, and couldn't sometimes just let a well alone be, or, or, you know, let, let things Mm be, um, Mm -hmm. so to add to that, to add to the mix there of what you said, Boz.
1: So, um, we have recently become really interested in talking to everybody about their intros. <laughs> Do you
2: remember yeah. your intros? Oh, there were there were some good ones and bad ones, as there were. I remember so the intros that I did, let me think the first one I did it might have been laughing wild, which I know you've talked about with some other folks on this. That was awful <laughs> that was that was. Oh, uh, it was fun because it was like all these people that were really funny, but with it's like a two-person show, and here we are all competing for these. And there were like oh like twice as many guys as there were girls, so even the guy the guys thing got really really fierce. But at the same time, it was it was I don't know it was it was it just left a weird it was a weird experience. Um, that was
1: your first the first I think one? that was
2: the first one, and then I saw other, and I remember seeing other people's and being like, man they got like a full part. And I was, so it was like a little disappointing Mm -hmm. to do that one. And it was, um, yeah. So that was the first one. And the second one was diary of Anne Frank and Bella directed that Dr. Bella. And that was a gem because, um, it was very moving, we, we, we—you know that feeling when you do a show and then everyone's just really silent afterwards, and you finish because that show gets super heavy, and we we ends with such a bang. Like we was like it had that palpability of like, oh, we're really doing something effective, and um, and it was my first, well, my second time working with Doctor Bella. She knew me from um, a, I did a, a crew for the Seagull. Do you remember the Seagull uh, that that Carrie mm-hmm. Peters she played? Yeah. Um, the main, yeah. And, and so I was a first year doing the crew and they needed those extra parts filled and I, I auditioned and I don't know, because I, I made Bella laugh in the audition. And I think that's why she, she went with me. Cause I, I always was good for a laugh. Um, and I, and I actually told, I, I put a story on the Facebook of Dr. Bella for Eugenia, I think when we were talking about Dr. Bella's stories where, and I'll just, I'll just, I'll do it really quick here, but my, my, my first time as a first year, I'm going to be, I have like two lines or one line and I'm supposed to be a servant that brings in arena's bags and asks for a tip or she gives me a tip. And then I thank her. And I don't, you know, it was well into the rehearsal process. They're about to go into tech. And so I don't know any of these upperclassmen. And I'm just sitting off to the side being like, I got to carry in these bags. What should I do? And in my default mode, especially back then, was make a joke, be the clown. So I carried the bags in as awkwardly as possible. Like just (laughs) stacking them, kind of dropping them, trying to make like my best Charlie Chaplin bit or whatever I could out of it. And then I like turn and I go look for the tip. And I just... It was silent, and the, the seniors are like, like just like no one's doing anything, and no one really laughed at my bit. And I look over at Dr. Bella, and she's like this, her hands like oh, no. over her head. And then she just looks up and smiles and says, now just bring in the bags.
0: <laughs> but you know what? I have to say, I am so impressed that you took it upon yourself to do that
1: to make a choice
0: you made a freaking choice dude i would have just like i mean i i think there's that thing of like you go for it and then they can bring you back if they if that's not what they're looking for and you just went for it i don't know man that is brave to me
2: i went for it and she yeah she brought me back um she brought you (laughs) back so so that again brings me then to we did um that show what are we a uh, diary of Anne Frank with her on uh, uh and uh that was really great and then the last I don't remember my third intro um oh it was um hay fever oh, another like a mm-hmm. light that, that was that no, was fun coward. yeah yeah so those were the- do you
1: guys think that the teachers picked plays like what do you think the ratio of picking a play that they wanted to do artistically versus what they thought like do you think anybody said what this class really needs is I wish
0: they did that. I, I wish yeah. they did that. I don't know. I mean, I feel like Rick did that with the adding machine, but I also think it, a ton of it was that he just, you know, that he wanted to do the play and hear mm-hmm. the play out loud and said we're going to make it work. Like laughing wild or whatever. That was was that Jenkins?
2: No, it was oh. it was Daniel Coe.
0: Ilko. Okay, so he probably wanted to hear. I don't know. That don't that know. play has two characters.
2: Yeah, a man and a woman, and they. I believe it's the one where they keep resetting it, like the the time resets, and they can come back. Oh, and they, yeah. They get another. I I believe that's that play. I might be even getting yeah. that wrong, but um. Duh. Yeah.
1: See, because uh, Don Elco directed my intro, and he did um, M- "Museum" by Tina Howe, and it has like forty characters in it. So everybody, yeah. So that's interesting. He went from one- what? Wait, what? Are you one year or two years behind us?
2: I am.
1: We graduated. Or I graduated in ninety-seven. She ninety-nine. Did in 98.
2: Ninety-nine. So I'm okay. one year behind you, Boz and two behind you. Two years. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, So that's interesting that he did that back to back. I think
0: they did whatever the fuck they wanted. Look, they were like, now being like that age now, and and if I was given a chance, I'd be like, oh, I'd really love to do, you know, the weirdest shit or like the, I I would hope that I would try to make it uh, mindful of the class that I was working with. I'd hope. But I think... I think it ultimately just comes down to whatever the fuck they wanted to do in 1990s. Yeah. You know, they had like- to
2: spend all these <laughs> evenings with these kids and be like, well, what do I want to hear them do? Yeah. I think you're dude, right. dude.
0: I
1: can relate. Honestly, I have been asked to direct so many plays that I don't like. And it's it doesn't turn out good you know what i mean like you're like okay sure i can direct anything and then you just don't feel it you just don't you you don't feel inspired and it's not good i mean that honestly that that's i don't know i think it would be very hard to be a director for hire for that reason oh yeah what about so after what about other shows after intros
2: third year i did oh man so well the shows that stick out i did grapes of wrath my Fourth year um, with Michael Maggio, and that was that was pretty um, uh, awesome um, endeavor. I did the search for delicious. W-
0: I was in that you, with you, I, yeah. I was gonna yeah. say,
2: weren't you in that? But I don't I played
0: I yeah. played a wife of someone, yeah.
2: I, I and I remember David just not being present, he had some nope. health things going on, or in that whole year, he was not very present. He was my first year teacher, though. Um, and I got. Wait, search for
1: delicious. Out. Is that was that? Is that a kids show?
2: It was. Mm-hmm. It was a kids oh, show okay. that that David and, Avcali directed. But then oh. the assistant director, who was a student, kind of had to take over.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, why, what was his health problems? Uh,
2: you know, I never really asked, but it was He's Bad. He Got a string Whatever of health problems. Um, yeah.
0: And I remember just feeling like this is. Because we were in, I was in the yellow boat and, and oh, that was so was beautiful. Gina. Oh, that's yeah. right.
2: Oh man, that yeah. was such a beautiful So we were
0: show. in that and that was such a, for me, it was intense, but uh, the show itself, you could tell that Abkali really cared about. And then being in search for Delicious was sort of like a, um, like the the a one-off reject of that, mm. where I was like, this is sort of a mess, but you yeah. know, we did it. We did it, Jason. We, we, we did. just did we it. We pulled
2: it together. And I remember, yeah, wanting that cuz i i saw the power of avkali when for that show like from yellow boat and really wanted that experience and it was what it was it was yeah, you're right we pulled it together but it wasn't uh what i was really hoping for but because that show and i got cast in that and i, I, I was a bit like oh man it wasn't really what, what i wanted that casting round that's when i did that's when i brought Vojtseck to the table because I read that and then came to a few other um, friends at the theater school and was like, would you want to do this with me? And we, and then we kind of, and that became like my most like memorable, like experience at the theater school. So, you know.
0: Okay.
1: I, I, I have to ask you something because we've had a number of people who have described this experience, just doing a play on their own while we were in theater school um I don't how did you do that because how did we, we find the time Yeah, how did you find the time? I mean, I I don't think I ever did that. And and also like yeah, when did you rehearse it and where did you did, how did you Good. invite people? How does that work?
2: Well, when you're in the theater school, I found that getting resources was relatively easy. You could just sign up for a room. I believe that was the thing. You could just kind of if or just wander around to you find an empty room and go, "This is the room I want." Mm-hmm. But I know it was it was we did it in conjunction with Spring Awakening, which oh. uh, which was the – or no, sorry, Rites of Spring. Spring Awakenings is a play, but Rites of Spring where the new – where the playwrights put up new pieces. And so that was already going on. So we we're like, well, let's just put it – like let's put our show together during that because other people will have be, be doing that. And because I was in search for delicious, and our show was during the daytime, the night times I had the evenings free to to pull people and to, um, rehearse. Because some people who I who I did it with again either, yeah. So that's how I all came to there were there was just time that I found from. I mean. Yeah. I guess
0: if you really want to do something, you'll find the time. Right. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but it, but it seems insane to me. I mean, I, like, I think about that. I'm like, I couldn't even keep my shit together during the day. Okay. What? And I find that to be brilliant when people have done that. People are like, yeah, we did this production. I'm like, what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good for you.
2: Good I, for you all. I, I, I think uh, I just had this realization. I think I, I find that I always have to keep myself busy with too much stuff like to like that's the theater school like was great at that piling it on and now in my life like my family will call me and be like what other five things are you doing and i'm like oh yeah this this and this and that's just uh not that i i don't know if i thrive in it but that's the type of like that's what i want to be in i want to be in chaos so, all the time so
1: your choice to be bobbling all of these suitcases was really an allegory for your for your life (laughs) and that and that reminds me you've mentioned a couple of times like being a clown or that's that being a, a something that you resorted to I would imagine that that has been a good thing as an actor to be able to employ that clownishness have you had clownish type parts that you've been able to really show that off
2: yeah I got to play puck Many, many times at uh, Chicago Shakespeare, um, touring around to schools and on their main stage, and that I had—I stopped counting, but I think I did almost a hundred performances of that of that character. And it was like, do you know in um that that one? What was that? What is it? Uh, Ray Bradbury's. Of,
0: that is a lot of yeah. fucking puck.
2: It was a lot of puck. Pucking a lot. It's of a puck. lot of
0: fairy, fairy
1: sprite. <laughs> action for and, for one person
2: <laughs> yeah there's just certain roles that i was like yeah this is me and and it was a it was a hip-hop rapping puck oh, i don't God. know if you ever oh, i i got oh. to i got to like and there was a live percussionist and i was rapping a lot of the uh the lines not a lot <laughs> but uh, some, and um I had a blast and I when I loved because I lo- love that character because he is the direct connection between the audience and the characters and he breaks the fourth wall. He break there's no fourth yeah. wall in Shakespeare. Like he's talking to the people mostly. So I was like coming in, climbing on people, like grabbing their hats. Like I was I got to be a punk, like and then do yeah. like and you're and you paid for this. You paid for me to do this. <laughs> right. So I, I really loved that.
0: Who directed that at
2: Shakespeare? Gary griffin
0: yeah yeah okay
1: uh-huh
2: wow that's a lot of puck was it a pared down version of the play it was and then i later did it at notre dame did a summer shakespeare and they did the full length and and that i got to do the full length there um yeah wow but um it was yeah this pared down was nice because you're in and out in 90 minutes you're doing shakespeare and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. lickety-sport
1: so you started this company, you were acting a lot in Chicago. What informed your decision to move to LA? A
2: show that I also did at Chicago Shakes was called Rose Rage, which was Henry the 6th part 1, 2 and 3, all three parts done in one 6-hour marathon. Um, and all, it was originally a production that was done in England by a company called Propeller and they brought the the director came and chose a chicago cast i think chris henderson another theater school alum from um chicago shakes had seen it and said we want to do that in chicago and we did it in to much praise in chicago got it went over really well and then that show went to new york and so that's what ultimately said oh i'll try moving out of chicago
0: so you went to new york first and you how long how long were you in new york
2: about about eight seven or eight years
0: Wow. Oh. And you were doing off Broadway and, and Did you love New York? Did you hate it? What was your vibe? What oh, was man,
2: your... love, hate, man. It's it, someone put it to me this way. You, you like when you go to New York, if you go to move there, it's like the only place you want to live. And then when you leave it, it's the last place in earth that you want to live. Oh my God, um, that's
1: so true. And, you uh, don't live there for
2: yeah? yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually I think we were living there at the same time because I lived there from two thousand and 6 to 2012.
2: Yeah, we would have crossed over cuz I I left around 2010. So yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah. I, all
1: these people were there that I, you know, I I had no idea. I was up in Washington Heights and I had two kids, so I didn't oh I couldn't man. have yeah. seen anybody anyway. Well,
2: how long <laughs> anyway. did you have kids in New York? I know for uh, ourselves like every all our friends long. once they had kids, they left New York within a year. Were you there longer than a year? Yeah,
1: then? we were there um i when when i moved there i had a newborn so um yeah so we lived there for six years it was like hard A man. walk it was up real yes no 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 our uh well sometimes it was
0: a walk-up when the elevator wasn't working
2: oh man but <laughs> yeah with kids and strollers and all that oh man Dude, i just
0: remember I, yeah <laughs> the stories you would tell about strollers on the subway oh <sighs> my god
1: yes and you had to like every trip you made you wanted to plan it around which station had an elevator because you know occasionally people would help you bring it up but sometimes you didn't really want that person's help depending on who was trying to and and yes and the smell of urine i mean honestly i i and every time we go back to new york city i'm like i'm so fucking glad we don't live here anymore you don't miss it, it though we, when
2: you get there and you get that vibe that new york no, sir, energy no yeah. sir
1: no sir i mean i, I never was a person who only wanted to live in New York. Yeah. In fact, when we made the decision to move to New York, and Aaron always reminds me, my husband always reminds me of this, we had a choice between moving to LA and moving to New York. And I don't know why, but I had this idea that I would really hate LA. And now that's the only place I want to live. <laughs> so
2: it's, grass I'm, is always I'm, greener.
1: The grass is always greener. Okay, but then how'd you get from New York to LA?
2: I... Met my wife in, well, not New York. So there was a bit of a side trip. Once I left Chicago and I went to New York, for some reason, I, no, in between that, in between the end of the show in Chicago, I moved to LA because I thought that is what I was supposed to do. And I was in a, and I did have a breakup. And, or, you know, it kind of coincided. I I did, I, I have this way of every so often blowing up my life. And then being like, and now I'm going to go somewhere else. And I kind of did that. And I went to LA and I hated it, but that in LA is when I found out I was going to be going to New York. So it was just a quick stay in LA, but I did meet my wife in that quick stint and we got closer. And then ultimately she and I moved to New York. Um, And yeah, I say everything that's, a significant in my life happened through the theater school because I met her through Chris Schultz, who was my roommate throughout the theater yeah. school when they were doing a show at the Actors Gang in L.A. And so I, that's how I met her. And then we moved to New York. And then once New York played itself out and we were at that stage of, do we want to have kids? Like Because like, we had gotten married and we're like, what's next? We knew we wanted – well, she's from Southern California. And you can only take a girl from Southern California out of Southern yeah. California for so long for before so long. she's like, yep. we got to go back. And she's right. It's the – not to not to rub it in, Gina, <laughs> but it's like the best.
1: It's the jam. It's the best. I know. I know. I'm going to go there for a little, a little visit in August. Yay. Um is your wife an actor?
2: She is. She's a, an actress and she did a lot of sketch comedy with um, like the groundlings and then moved more towards, is trying to move more towards writing. Um, would be, we had, it was very difficult for us to have kids. We had a lot of starts and stops and it was a very challenge. It was especially obviously for her. Um, and uh, so she went through a lot in that time and Moved started moving more towards writing and doing voiceover and things and and still loves acting. But, um, so yeah, she's like a Jack of all trades. Like, like many of us, like we all have to be. Right.
1: Is is the actors gang the thing that David started?
2: No, No. that was called the hot house, um, which was uh, an improv school. No, the, the actors gang notably most famously is Tim Robbins theater company. It, 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 and uh, uh right. and it's uh it's a bit of a cult of personality of of a, of a theater company um when we were there i i'm it's still thriving and i and i love all the people i met through there but it was a it was it had its politics yeah yeah
0: yeah like every like every uh cult of personality situation yeah mm-hmm. politics abound
2: right politics
0: <laughs> so can we go back just for a second to the theater school because i have some some follow-up questions yeah. yes okay Now, I'm obsessed with the warning system. Yeah. And and the cut system because I just feel it was so specific to that time when we went to school. Yeah, what was your relationship like? And people are telling us they had mentors there. Did you have a mentor <laughs> like, like Bridget Quinn? No, advisor. Like, hey. Advisor. Oh, oh yeah, faculty yeah, advisor. Oh, no, oh, but like Wait. Bridget said that her advisor was like her mentor. Her I'm like mentor. I had yeah, my my, my my advisor was Rick Murphy who basically asked me what sign I was, asked me why I wasn't <laughs> living up to my star potential, and then kicked me out of the office. So what was your relationship like with that whole system?
2: Oh, it was a bit of, um, one thing I learned in the Midwest from my, my, my family was how to bury my head in the sand and to, to, uh, kind of ignore things that I didn't really want to face. Um, and so what I, how I handled the cut system was to completely ignore it and will myself to think I, I'm not going to get cut. I'm not going to get cut. Just keep every, you know, don't worry about that. No way, not you. And so I, it was this denial that was, I I lived by so strongly that, uh, that, that's what got me through it. I, my advisor was David Avcali and he, I did not get a warning. Um, and I, but I think because I knew, I think I figured out how to please David in, in, in his class and I would use it I, I yeah. So it was very much play up to what he wanted and I, I figured that language out and I figured out that and I think that's how I got around getting warned yeah. or cut.
0: So your skills, your 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 skills or whatever you developed as a kid or whatever, however that went down, you Ugh. probably used it to your advantage. Well, yeah, yeah, but you used it to your advantage to, to make a, a what I think is an intolerable situation Ugh. more tolerable for you. You know, I just think of the the pressure and the, and the fear that I had and it felt intolerable. And so you did what you had to do to make an intolerable thing. You know, yeah. it worked for you at the time.
2: Yeah. It, and you
0: it, said listening to,
2: listening to, Paul, to a lot of had
0: some to Paul, what, what, what the, what did stuck out about what Paul Holmquist said? I'm just curious. Cause you mentioned yeah no I, I, Yeah. I, I just because that totally episode resonated. to me, that episode to me changed my life in terms of how I looked at our experience. It was a really, and you don't have to go into specifics, but I'm just wondering like what things, because for me, what it's, what, yeah. it, what it, what was the vulnerability of yeah. how, like how vulnerable we were as yeah. kiddos.
2: Yeah. Like, and I, and I, I, I connected with that, like how vulnerable he, 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 his experience and, and how some of the faculty took advantage of that, but it, Hmm. I, I'm not, I, I don't know. I I can't, I can't articulate it right now. Okay. I'm not sure, yeah. I'm not sure.
1: Well, while you're thinking about it, let me pose a question to both of you, which is that, I think all of us would say that we were people pleasers. Yeah. I'm just thinking like maybe being a people pleaser and like learning and growing are not, are, are mutually exclusive. Like if you are, people-pleasing, by definition, you cannot be getting better, right? You can't be like learning and growing because all of your focus is on the person you're trying to please. Mm -hmm. And you only get the feedback if that person seems pleased or displeased with with what you're doing. That doesn't help you when you go... I mean... It helps you when you go on to please the next person just because you have general, like, get really good at reading people's – but, like, I kind of think that maybe that was the biggest reason, at least for me and is that we could – like, Rick said, I never heard you say that before. Rick said, why aren't you living up to your star potential? Yeah. Like, I was just thinking, like, well, she wasn't because she was people-pleasing. And she wasn't making it about like her own, you know what I mean? Like you had basically from beginning to end, you had no idea that you were going there to learn something for you. right. You were just going to like figure out what all these other teachers
0: wanted. Right. Right. I think that is so right on Gina. Yeah. That like we, we, being a people pleaser really, and now I'm working on it in this industry myself. It's like, I, it's like it, blocks me from accepting helpful feedback that would actually make me better as an artist and a human being. So I am blocked from receiving any sort of gifts of like, let me help you basically. And when we're kids, that that let me help you wasn't so helpful when they were doing that. I mean, maybe to some people it was. Not living up to your star potential is not very much a helpful note. (laughs) But but i couldn't even express like oh i want to live up to my star potential it's just that i'm trying to please your crazy ass yeah. and so i can, you know what i mean it's just yeah. so fascinating to me and 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 look we've said it it was a certain time it was a certain place but i'm i think gina said it right where it's like people pleasers cannot it's it's a full time job that's what i'll right.
2: say right yeah and ultimately you are like you get so you get the laugh so you get the the part so you get like and you're just doing it to please but ultimately you're not you're not really giving your genuine self because you're too busy trying to mold it for someone else so it, it is it is it gets in the way it gets in the way of you in the way. really being a genuine person in a room or in a situation and just being like yourself because you you know and I think a lot of it is like Oh I mean, there's that maybe me it's that voice in my head that says, "No, they don't wanna know that they don't want they don't wanna hear about that thing, but that's the genuine part of me right, and that's the thing that I'm not sharing when it comes to people pleasing is is that sometimes you know so. And the other
0: thing I was going to say is like the when you decided to do the play on your own, Wojciech, yeah. was your it sounds like to me was your first attempt really at the theater school to say, no, I'm not going to people please and to be in That's this play so that true. you want me to be. I'm going to take a leap. And so good for you for doing that, because yeah. I never I my ass was like, I'll just stay here forever mm. until someone discovers how great I am, <laughs> even though I don't know who I am. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it, so I, good for you that you did. That you started that theater company.
2: Yeah. Wait,
0: but
1: Jason, were you saying that just right now you were thinking in your head that we don't want to hear something you were saying, or you're talking about when you were in theater school, you were
2: thinking Oh, no. In theater school or when I find in the past have been at my most people pleasing, you know, when, when, Uh when, when that, when that gets in the way of ultimately success is because I'm too busy trying to figure out, Oh, what does that person want? Or what, why didn't, you know, when it's just like, just give them you, just give them what you got. And. You know, it's so simple to say that, but it's so hard to do. Um, it's so <laughs> when you're, hard to when do. You, when you're also a people pleaser from such a young age, you know?
1: One of the things that has informed my people pleasing a lot is this idea that, like, I'm inherently uninteresting. So I have to always put myself in this category of, like, I'll pretend to be this person. I'll, and what I've learned, what I learned being a therapist is, that is the most boring thing you can do. Everybody glazes over when you're not yourself. <laughs> Meanwhile, if you are yourself, you could be just doing the most mundane thing. And maybe it's not riveting, but it's, you know, no, it's it interesting. Is. Yeah, it's,
2: That's why animals are so interesting to watch on film, right? Because they're yes. just, they're just are. And so you're like, wow, that dog just stole the show. Because
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> Right. They're not, they, the
0: squirrel's they, not like, is this good? Do you <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Which is why, oh, yeah, the squirrel, did I eat that nut right? <laughs> the, the, the Which is why it was interesting to talk to people. Um, like we were talking to Siler Thomas, who was like, you know, I'm not really that into acting anymore. I'm just sort of doing my thing. And all of a sudden he's getting cast now, years later in all these roles. And he's like, I'm just sort of doing the thing, which is why beginner's mind really works. It's like, mm. that's what's interesting. And I think I don't know. My question is in terms of what the work you're doing now in your life, are you acting? Are you able to, um, do you feel as though you're able to bring more of you to your work as at pinnacle or at at other places?
2: I I certainly at pinnacle, there's like, I have these skills that I've developed and that I think you will find useful. And so there is an empowerment of, and and, and I do feel more like myself and, and, and feel happy with that work. Um, and as far as acting, you know, I've got a, again, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. So I'm, I'm, I am learning how to be a present dad, um, which was also really hard for me to, and still a challenge for me to be. So I want to be more about, you know, what's going on with them or I'm trying to, and, and, and they're still, you know, I'm not, I'm less concerned about if I'm going to get a commercial or, or do, do, do theater work. I want to, and I know it'll be there when I'm ready to go back to it. And I still like long for it. Like there is still a part of me that, so I'll sit around and tell stories to my son while he's eating to make him eat. So he's like, tell me a story. So that's my little performance that I get for the day.
1: Well, what I was going to ask you is what are, if you've thought of it, what are, as you look at the second half of your life, what are going to be your goals, your creative goals for the second half of your life? Is there so, is there like a dream project you have in mind or even a dream, like change of career you have in mind?
2: Yeah, Honestly, this, this second chapter or this part of my life is, is really been more about being the best version of myself and not doing that people pleasing and not, um, and, uh, so I am man to go to a dream. Yeah. There are certain shows like I have a, a very distinct version of Macbeth that I want to do or, or, or things like that. But, um, you know, it's not now, it, it, I don't know, I guess kids, kids can change it when you really like enjoy and start to enjoy having kids. And cause I will be honest, I, there was times I didn't, I was not always happy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 uh, so, so I, again, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm not really answering the question, but, uh, but it no, is. No, that's okay. You I know, think
1: what you're, I think your I answer is, thing. yeah, my, my goals are to be the best version of myself I can be, you know, you're, you're not, which I can relate to too. And maybe when you feel more where, where you want to be with that, that'll allow the room for, yeah whatever your like creative goals might be. I think so. Well, we're going to have to end soon, but I'm just curious if you have any little anecdotes or things you want to make sure to share.
2: Yeah. There was a story that I don't think I've heard you share yet, Boz, but I know you were involved in it when I was crewing for Androcles and the lion. And I got to meet Patrick and you and, and, and Russell Harden and again, great cast. And I was crewing, I was on the set and there was a time when the 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 empress she got sick.
0: It, Stephanie White.
2: Stephanie White, and someone had to go on in her place. Did you have you talked about this story?
0: Yeah, we talked about about it a little bit, but my with Stephanie. It, with Stephanie with Stephanie. She hasn't the, her episode hasn't come out yet. Well,
2: but. I was backstage for this whole, and this was one of those moments where I was like, theater is awesome because this. This young lady had to go on not knowing. She's like, I think I got it. She didn't really have it. And she had an ear <laughs> prompter in her ear. Yep. And the stage Wait, manager- I'm
1: sorry. I have to, st- I have to stop you because I've heard this story three times and I never figured out who is the person who got picked to be- <sighs> Was she in the play already or was she no. a first? No,
2: no. And Boz, like you should have done it, if anything, because you were like next you should have been that part and I don't know, but then who would have been They needed
0: part? me they needed me to drag her around. Yeah.
2: Was, you were like, <laughs> I'm pretty like you were, I'm sure,
0: Yeah. It was Kate McKiernan. I'm yes, pretty sure it was yes. Kate McKiernan.
2: Kate McKiernan, that's right. And she who got sick, right? Stephanie no, Stephanie up. White definitely got, got sick, and Kate went on. That's right, and and so I was backstage with the stage <laughs> manager who's reading the lines in the ear prompter, but Kate's not saying them, and so we're both like, "What's going on? What's happening?" And and Jen, you're doing your best to like kind of fill in or or, or do your thing, <laughs> and then whispering. and then the stage manager goes, "Kate, if you can hear me, raise your hand." And from the side, we're watching the teleprompter. We just see slowly, as Jen's trying to do her lines, you just see her slowly raise her arm (laughs) and look around like she's justifying that position. And I just... It was... It was hilarious and I and I, I and mean, I know she was in a panic but it was still just beautiful how it's it was and, and and it just stuck with like me it. as like man they pulled it off and those yeah. kids still loved it and yeah. and wow look at look at look at the collaboration It was a true
0: ensemble motherfucking experience, dude. This
2: is fascinating because
1: uh, the first time I heard the story was when Boz told me. So I heard it from her perspective of dragging (laughs) the girl around. And then we heard about it from Stephanie, which was which her experience was figuring out when she knew she was too sick to go on whether or not she could figure out a way to you know her her whole extor- story about it is of course not the show because she wasn't there it was like leading up to it and thinking the show must go on and how ha- yeah. you know i think she was i think she told us she was being kind of people were telling her like it doesn't matter how sick you are you need and oh. she she said no i i i
0: can't uh, so now we have to have kate on yeah, so, yeah. I
2: see what her <laughs> panicked. Experience I love it.
0: Was Who knew Androcles and the Lion would have such a legacy, you know? <laughs> Rest in peace, Don Ilko. My God.
1: If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theatre School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth-Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound-mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you!